Launch your global career in football business. Study a master's degree online with unique access to the MCG and a big-hitting Australian industry network. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, who also have campuses at the iconic Wembley Stadium in London and Etihad Stadium in Manchester. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree and join GIS's global network of football leaders. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at fnr. That's gis.sport.fnr. Welcome back to the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. We had a week off last week, but we're back. We're back with a bang, back in business. All of the uh, colloquialisms involving being back and returning to things. We are all of them. Oscar Rutherford is back with me. And how is Oscar Rutherford? He's fantastic, thanks. <laughs> He's really well, thanks. Excellent. I love to hear it. Uh, we do have Josh uh, on the panel off screen, and he will uh, chime in, uh, of course, if and when he feels he has something to add to the conversation. A Josh conversa- will do that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, I just had some, some weird echo in my ears, but I, uh, I digress. Uh, <laughs> much of that conversation will, of course, surround uh, the end to the January transfer window. Uh, it's that, that wonderful time, 31st of January, or I guess 1st of February, when when we wake up here in Australia, all the clubs trying to get their last-minute deals over the line. A couple interesting ones, but I think all in all, it was a, a pretty quiet January. Yeah, a few interesting loans out of big clubs, you know, <laughs> the likes of United and Spurs getting rid of a number of players, which, mm. was, which was quite interesting to see, some... Weird ones like Adama Traore going to Barcelona. Yeah, That's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, um, going back to his uh, back to his homeland, which is an interesting one because he, I mean, he was there for quite a while, and then you know ended up kicking around Premier League, Championship, you know, Aston Villa, Middlesbrough. I saw a, a, a fantastic photo of uh, Adama Traore and Martin Braithwaite playing together for mm, Middlesbrough mm, yeah. uh, in the in the Championship, or actually might have been in the Premier League back at that time, uh, and and of course they'll. Uh, They'll be teammates at Barcelona now. Who would have thought? Yeah, and it's it's just a bit weird in terms of the timing because he'd kind of petered off a bit for the yeah, last couple of seasons. He's had like a ter- he was, he's yeah. had a terrible season this year. He was red hot sure. maybe two, three years ago, mm. but, but hasn't really got nearly as much going. So a bit of an odd odd signing, but not the weirdest signing Barcelona have made in the last few years, but that's a Barcelona story. <laughs> we'll, we'll be happy. Yes, maybe, maybe we should just start a, a Barcelona show where yeah. we can talk about everything that's wrong uh, at Barcelona, who are supposedly about to undergo a name change for the stadium. It's going to be called the Camp Now Spotify. Have you heard that? I have not heard that, but but I'm so glad that this is the direction football is heading. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, they're, they're coming on as a, I think they're going to be their front of shirt sponsor or something. And uh, and also apparently grabbing uh, grabbing some naming rights for the, the Camp Now. Is Camp Now such an iconic name, though? Really? I mean, it just means new stadium. Like, it's not very. Yeah, but when it's when it's in Spanish, it just it sounds better. It, it does sound better, <laughs> but I mean, to us, it's an iconic name. Oh, the Camp Now. But in Spanish, it just means new stadium. 
And so I, it's probably, I, I never probably doesn't, the meaning to it me. doesn't mean <laughs> as much to them as it does to us externally Possibly. when we don't have that connotation. You know, if we, we had a stadium down the road, you know, Western United building a new ground, we just called it New Stadium, and then they got a, a sponsor on the end. I don't think anyone could, would complain, would yeah. they? I guess, new, you know, the history the is there. The heart and soul would have been taken out of the ground or has been taken out of the ground, <laughs> I think, really, yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, but, yeah, I mean, diving into the um, the January window, I think as a as a Liverpool fan, I, I'm obviously very excited about uh, Luis, Luis Diaz coming in. Um, seen him a, a few times uh, over the last few years when Liverpool have, have played Porto in the Champions League. And, um, I mean, not to overreact, but he's going to win a Ballon d'Or one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. But he, he is a, a, a superstar. I've, I've been very, very impressed with him uh, in the matches that I've watched. And then, you know, I mean, everyone looks good on YouTube, but certainly some of his uh, his little highlight reels and compilations and thing look very, very tasty, very quick, super skillful, excellent in front of goal. He's uh, was leading, or I guess he still is, um, until someone overtakes him, leading the um, what's the Portuguese league called nowadays? The Liga Nosh. It is still called the Liga Nosh. Okay, I, don't know. I call it Liga Nosh. Yeah. It's it's like when people kept calling La Liga Liga BBVA even after BBVA <laughs> dropped their sponsorship or Barclays Premier League. Well, um, it's actually in Spanish, so uh, it's not BBVA. It's um, BB Ube Ube. I think it is. It's it's like, like I think it's BB Ube which is really weird. I like it. Josh is just flexing his Spanish <laughs> his, language yeah, his, skills his the whole linguistic time. knowledge. Yeah, so, so <laughs> because in, th- th- this is where it came up because I was actually talking to a Spanish friend of mine and he was talking about why they confuse... They can well. He's actually a Barcelona season ticket holder. We should get him oh. on. We should actually get him on the station. Oh, we to should talk about it. He's a he's a cool a. So um, uh, he he was talking about how Spanish people always confuse B's and V's like when oh. they're speaking, and it's because it, uh, a B is a B and a V is a U B is how they say it in Spanish. Oh. It's Ube. So B B V A is Bebe Ube A. That is. So I'm glad honest, they changed the name for the sake of the Spanish speakers. Awesome. Like that is. That's just. That's had a massive impact on my life. I love, I, I, I love it. Um, but back to this is Lu- what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, back to Louis Diaz, uh, leading the Golden Boot with 14 goals in 18 games as a left winger. Very impressive. Four assists on top of that. So he's going out a goal contribution per game uh, for Porto, who, uh, as they tend to do, are controlling uh, the Portuguese first division. Uh, Oscar, have you... Have you seen much of him yourself? Um, can you uh, validate my Liverpool bias with a, an impartial opinion? I, I would I would be lying to you if I said I'd seen too much of him play, so I'm not going to go as far as to validate your opinion. <laughs> what I know is that Liverpool have a fairly decent track record in recent years of picking sure. up good players who complement the team well and can work really well. So in that sense, I'm, I'm willing to believe that it was a sensible signing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of where he sits in the squad mm. at this point in time. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on, on how they're going to negotiate that. Yeah, I think a, a lot of a lot of fans on Twitter, I use fans loosely, um, uh, are very quick to you know suggest that he goes straight into the starting lineup, which I think is, look, again, massive talent. He will, of course, um, obviously, provided he you know hits the ground running and continues his development, he will, of course, become a regular first-team player. But... I certainly don't see that happening straight away. We've got Mo Salah, who 
in my opinion, is the best player in the world at the moment. You've got Diogo Jota, who is the second top scorer in the Premier League. You've still got Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino, who, despite maybe not um, lighting it up this season, are still obviously fantastic players and, and important uh, in the system if they're not you know, scoring goals or assisting themselves. They, they obviously have an important role to play. I do think Diaz will be behind all four of those to start with. Um, but, you know, Liverpool have a lot of uh, important games coming up. There's a Premier League title race to, to get back into. The Champions League knockout stages will be uh, commencing shortly, February or March. I think, it's, uh, I think it might be in a couple of weeks February. in mid-Feb. Um, uh, League Cup final, FA Cup uh, matches as well. So he will get a lot of opportunities to play. Uh, I think Klopp has shown more... Um, uh, more of an initiative to rotate this season than he perhaps uh, might have in previous years. And, you know, they've, they've spent big money on him. There's lots of excitement. So he'll he'll definitely get opportunities, but I don't think he'll, uh, he'll necessarily take over one of the front three straight away. If I may interject. Of course. You're spinning this very positively as a mm-hmm. Liverpool fan. Is there a part of you just nagging feeling that he's Mo Salah's replacement and they're not extending his contract? Yeah, there's also been a lot of that going around on Twitter as well. Um, to the, the positive that I'm getting on that front is that Diaz is more of a left-sided attacker yeah. than a right-sided That's certainly attacker. where he played for Colombia, the yeah. Copa America last year, which is the only time I've watched him. And he yeah. was... Absolutely brilliant that tournament. Four goals, top scorer alongside Lionel Messi. Yeah, so. of course. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the main thing that's giving me uh, hope. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a touchy subject. The uh, <laughs> the most Salah contract I'm, I'm situation. Nick Hughes. I feel bad now. Um, <laughs> Oscar, no, no, but I, Oscar, is this just a negotiating tactic for Liverpool now that they've got a player that can potentially step into the team to replace him? Mm. Maybe they can say, "Well, stay here if you want, but we're not giving you four hundred thousand pounds a week." Well, uh, see, I, I think it's an interesting signing because my initial thought is kind of you know how badly do Liverpool need more depth in those kinds of areas? And I think we've kind of seen over the last month that that's kind of been the most expose that bit's been due to AFCON and whatnot. So you, we've seen Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain playing out there and, and doing that kind of thing. And so it's looked like Liverpool could have really used another wide player. But I'm kind of... I, I mean, before that point, it didn't really feel like that. So I'm kind of... I'm, I'm curious mm. as to what that does for, say, someone like a Minamino. Like, you know, he was getting a reasonable amount of game time. But, you know, is that is that unsettling the squad mm. in some way what's you, been a pretty effective formula? You wouldn't know this, Oscar, uh, because you haven't quite know me long enough, but Takumi Minamino has a very, very special place in my heart. I am a massive, massive fan of Takumi Minamino. Scored against Saudi Arabia last night? He did. A very nice goal as well. Um, it was a, a, a massive... Uh, we love the Wario meme, the I've won, but at, at what cost in the FNR <laughs> group chat? Uh, it, was, it was massive, massive vibes of, of that meme uh, because, of course, that wasn't a great result no. for Australia, but... Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Minamino. I think he's been heavily underused and underappreciated uh, at Liverpool. So, again, my f- my sort of fear when Diaz arrived is, yeah, what you're hinting at. I th- it's possibly the beginning of the end for Minamino. There was plenty of talks that he was going to be available after Diaz came in. Leeds were interested uh, and someone else I can't quite remember. He apparently said that he wanted to stay, um, which is great. Uh, he's... 
I think he's had a good season. He mm. scored a, a handful of goals, five or six across all the competitions, I think. Um, some big ones in the, the League Cup as well, namely the uh, the last-minute equaliser against Leicester in the quarterfinal. Of course, missed his penalty in the in the shootout, but it, it didn't end up mattering. So I think the those six, the Salah, Firmino, Mane, Jota, Diaz, Minamino, I think that is an outstanding front six, uh, if you like, or the, you know, the, the first-choice front three and the second-choice front three behind them. Divock Origi's contract is expiring at the end of the season. Uh, no teams came in for him in January, and it doesn't look like he will get a new deal. And you have Curtis Jones, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, like you said, Harvey Elliott, who can play those wide roles as well. So to me, I, I wouldn't see a need for Minamino mm. to be sold unless Liverpool do a bit of a book balancing act, which they sort of have tended to do a little bit of that sort of sell to buy kind of mentality in uh, in recent seasons. But uh, we'll move on from there. Otherwise, I'll uh, continue to turn this into a Liverpool show. If I may, yeah, I want you guys to close your eyes and just do some imagining for me. Oh, okay. I'm uncomfortable, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I want you to imagine Burnley Football Club oh, no. in human form. <laughs> I know where this is going. I present to you six foot six <laughs> vaccine skeptic, <laughs> Vab Vegost. <laughs> Can I just say the, uh, the Jurassic Park transfer announcement video is quite possibly the best bit of social media content I've ever seen from any sporting franchise ever. I love that so much. Jurassic Park was one of my favourite movies as a kid. Um, and, and you're going to have oh, flashbacks to it every time you see boy, Burnley play. Oh, no, absolutely. Every time, I watch, every time I watch that movie now, every time the, the, big, uh, the big boy comes out, I'm just going to be thinking of uh, Vout or Voot. Vekhorst. So Voot has a better scoring record than anybody else in in the Bundesliga since 2018 except Robert Lewandowski. So how on earth have Burnley signed him, I ask? Yeah. For cheaper than they sold Chris, Chris Wood. Wood. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of my, overwhel- <laughs> my overwhelming sense is it feels like Burnley have won in this arrangement with Newcastle. Absolutely. Uh, for an answer, I turned to Bilt in the German newspaper. Apparently he attracted interest from other clubs in England, Italy and Spain but they refrain from going any further because the Dutchman isn't vaccinated against COVID-19. In December last year, Veghorst caused a stir for spreading scepticism about vaccines on Instagram. He'd later deleted the post and apologised, stating, "Uh, I know many people who have been infected with the coronavirus and therefore I know exactly what its effects are and how dangerous it can be. I merely wanted to point out that with this issue, as with all others in general, you should educate yourself as much as possible Mm. and listen to as many different opinions. As the, possible. The good old educate yourself line. Mm. Um, and now I want, to, I want to turn to his comments upon signing for the team, okay. all right? <laughs> uh, I had some really good talks, and after the conversations I had with the owner and the people here, I felt a lot of appreciation and a warm feeling. I looked into it, the side and the history, to see if it fit mm. me, and I got a feeling that it was something that would fit perfectly for me. I, as a player and Burnley as a club, are quite similar. I did my research, I bet you did, yeah. and I saw my history o- uh, over the last few years. Not so long ago, they played in Europe here, did they? I'm looking forward to being Almost. part of the club. I think for me as a football player and as a human being, I can compare myself to Burnley Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> that so, is so good. That I'm just saying, gold. I've done my own research. Yeah. And I think he's going to fit in perfectly. <laughs> At least he's gold. consistent with his approach of, of, of researching all things independently mm. um, but before making any decisions. Yeah, look, um, I, I, just just 
quickly, if I can digress and bring things to a footballing perspective. Oh, please, Absolute, please do. You please can. do. <laughs> I think it's an awesome signing. I do, like, no, as as sure. Josh rightly points out, he's been absolutely smashing in the goals for Wolfsburg for the last few seasons. Chris Wood has been serviceable and done a job, but... You know, if at the start of the season you said, who would you rather have in your team, Chris Wood or Wout Weghorst or Voot Weghorst, ignoring external factors, I'd pick Weghorst every single time. So I just kind of, I, I think that's I think that's great business for Burnley and I think that will potentially mm. yeah, massively. go a long way to helping them out. Another, another part of it I love is how much Weghorst sounds like workhorse <laughs> which which just adds to that adds to that Burnley connection <laughs> I love it um but yeah Wolfsburg are in a really interesting situation uh this season they came fourth last season and were four points off second they had a really really good Bundesliga campaign obviously with a fourth place finish comes Champions League football they were put into the the inevitable Champions League group of the where there's sort of four non powerhouses the the very even uh, group uh, one of which I know was RB Salzburg I can't off the top of my head Lil. remember yes Lil is one good and I'll give you ten bucks if you get the last one severe well done yeah you're not getting ten bucks so <laughs> <laughs> um, they didn't uh, they didn't even come third in that group I don't think so I don't think they're going even into the Europa League, uh, and they're sitting 15th and two points above the bottom three in the Bundesliga this yep. season, uh, which is uh, is pretty average. I mean, to provide some context to that, their manager, who I think was Oliver Glasner last season, did leave, and he's now at, I think, Frankfurt. Um, mm. So they've had Mark van Bommel come in. I think he won his first three games and then went downhill from there. Then they brought in a new manager again, Florian Kerfeld, who's started okay and then gone downhill again. So things aren't all pleasant at Wolfsburg. So I, I kind of, I have a, I have, I understand why from Weghorst's perspective, he left Germany in that yeah. sense. But um, look, to go to Berlin, look, I, I, I can only imagine where he would have, where, where else he would think if he were independently making all of these decisions, where else he'd think would be a good fit for him. Mm, because I mean, it literally is the perfect fit. It's like when you... When you're shopping for shoes and you you find that one, the one pair that you want, and you're like, man, I hope they have my size at the back. And then, you know, it comes out with the box. There you go. Perfect. That's fit. exactly the analogy I was <laughs> going to go with, too, but you just you stole it from me. So fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, he, he, um, he was doing very well in the Bundesliga. His last three seasons, uh, let's do some quick maths 53 goals and 18 assists. Which is uh, is quite decent, but uh, this season only six goals, one assist in the eighteen appearances. Um, For a goal shy Burnley team, it could be exactly what they need. I mean, I know it's not a huge change to what they've been doing recently, but I think Vekhorst is a better player than Chris Wood, so maybe yeah. that could be. I mean, they're 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 hardly out of the the fight for survival they've got the games in hand so i think that that adds a really interesting dynamic to burnley's season and i they're, they're absolutely with the shout of staying up even though they've kind of been stuck at the bottom for quite a while now absolutely we'll we'll touch a little bit more on the that sort of relegation battle uh, after our break because it is certainly looking very interesting now after a, a couple of results before the international break and now a couple of those teams uh, down towards the bottom uh, strengthening namely of course newcastle that cashed up uh, Newcastle United, adding how many players even was it in the end? Kieran Trippier, I know, came in. Matt Target came in on loan. Um, Dan Byrne. Yes, Dan Byrne. A, a signing I, I, I very much like. I love Dan Byrne. I'm a, again, you may not 
<clears throat> excuse me, you may not have known me long enough, but I'm a, a, a big fan of Brighton. Uh, I, I love the way they play. I love Graham Potter. Uh, and I've, I've quite enjoyed Dan Byrne because he's he may look like, again, a, t- a typical sort of Burnley player because he is just that massive. But I really rate his technical ability and his you know, positional awareness, ability to play then again, left back, left wing back, centre back. It's going to be Dan Byrne versus Voot Vegors to stay <laughs> up in the league. Don't they play each other on like the final day? Pretty sure they do. Yeah, I think I did see that. So, I mean, you can imagine that's going to be an ugly one to watch. But just yeah. the clash of the Titans, Godzilla I reckon, versus King I Kong. I reckon there'll be a betting market for the first player to end up having their head bandaged <laughs> after, a, after an aerial challenge. Um, uh, Bruno Gimmeresh was yeah. uh, the, the big or big name, the big money signing or biggest money signing uh, that Newcastle made. Brazilian midfielder from Lyon in excess of 30 million pounds. Squad on paper, I mean, after these, uh, after the signings, looks quite good. The attacking options, Sam Maximan, Wilson and, and Wood now in midfield. They've held on to Sean Longstaff, who was apparently subject to a 50 million... Oh, I mean, you know, don't believe everything you see on the internet, but a 50 million pound bid from Manchester United, which was outrageous to think about. Um, John Joe Shelby... Joe Willock hasn't really done uh, that well for them, but Bruno Gimmeresh uh, comes in and um, and strengthens the the midfield options and yep. the back four. I mean, Jamal Lewis and Matt Target competing for left back, Kieran Trippier and Javi Mankeo competing at, at the right back position. Um, it's not the glitz and glamour we were expecting no. from Newcastle. No, I th- and I think it, we were expecting Lingard or Mbappe, Van de Beek or <laughs> yeah. Deli Ali. Yeah. Mm. Maybe some of these offcuts from the big clubs that ended up being too expensive for them or they weren't able to convince these players to join in a relegation battle. Yeah. But Gimaraish, for, for uh, statistics sake, looks like a good player. Mm. I mean, you look at his uh, stats in Liga, which isn't the strongest league in Europe, but still, it's a good good level. Passes attempted, 94th percentile amongst midfielders. Progressive passes, 98th percentile. Progressive mm. carries, 98th percentile. Pressure's 90th percentile, tackles 96th percentile. So he's right up there in most of the key statistical categories for a box-to-box midfield player who's supposed to be creative and a defensive uh, force. Yeah, certainly sounds all action. And I think in terms of what... And the attacking. And I think in terms of what Newcastle need, having that extra midfield player is is absolutely vital for what what they've been going for. I mean, of course, their their defence still isn't particularly strong and neither Matt Target nor Dan Byrne really changes that, but that's Mm. kind of okay. They've kind of made it a bit more balanced of a squad and a bit more... I I, I just think Bruno Guimarães is a really good signing. I think Mm. he'll, he'll, he'll give them that that extra spark from midfield when you're relying on someone like John Joe Shelby who kind of has moments but not really yeah. a consistent force. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, well, before uh, or since we uh, were last on the airwaves, John Joe Shelby, uh, of course, knocked in that free kick. That was a, a big win for Newcastle at Leeds. Um, just as Leeds had won a couple in a row and were, yeah. were looking like pulling away from that relegation battle, they uh, were perhaps dragged uh, right back in by uh, Newcastle. Um might as well touch on Everton. God, goodness, we love Everton on this show, don't we? we oh, there's been a the story this season. I'll, yeah, I'll 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 start here. I, I want you to listen to this music and uh, and tell me tell me what how this makes you feel. This is the music they use to announce Frank Lampard with these seductive shots of him getting dressed and <laughs> unbuttoning his shirt to reveal a little bit of chest hair. 
sounds like a, a JD sports ad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this kind of rolling up the sleeves, getting to work. They're, they're really leaning into the celebrity of their new manager. This is like... Wow, that's, that's a bad... O- <clears throat> Excuse me, goodness me. Don't eat uh, chicken schnitzel wraps before you uh, <laughs> go on a radio show, apparently. <laughs> um, I th- that's about all they can celebrate about the appointment of Frank Lampard, to be honest, because you look at his uh, short-lived stint at Chelsea, it doesn't really fill you with that much hope. Uh, for how he will go back in the Premier League. This one, to me, feels like a bit of fan service because they were heavily linked with, and I don't know his name, and I apologise for the uh, uh, offensive, was that offensive nature of what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to say that Portuguese guy that they were linked <laughs> with. Is that um, Vitor Pereira? Was that his name? Possibly. I, I, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, try and, uh, I'll try and find it now. But they were linked with him. The fans apparently kicked up a fuss and said, no, we want Frank Lampard. So they turned around and got Frank Lampard. I'm not entirely sure why the fans might have wanted him, but uh, he's not the only new face at Goodison Park. Uh, Deli Ali comes in uh, on a permanent deal. I'm not sure how much he cost. It's like 40 mil or something. That he, is outrageous. He cost, he cost nothing. Yeah, that's what I thought. I he thought cost it was nothing. free, but I saw another website that said something like 50 Let me explain. Million. Let me explain. Okay. They are all... Performance related bonuses. Right, yeah. Uh, gotcha. So it's so, 40 million. So Tottenham aren't getting any of that money because Dele Alli's rubbish. It's, it's zero pounds up front, yeah, okay. 40 million if he, if he fulfills certain performance rated re- uh, related bonuses. And it's uh, many of them are achievable. So the first 12 are probably going to happen because he, it's just appearances and yeah, so yeah, forth. Yeah. But, you know, that's, I guess, a low risk signing for Everton because if he does perform, then he will be worth the money. Worth it, yeah. And if, he doesn't perform, then they won't have They're to pay much of it. Either. So, very true. I don't, I don't hate this from from no. Everton. I think it's a a bad deal for Tottenham when you're considering a, a guy like Deli Ali was so hyped a few years ago and could have gone for 50, 60 million. Yeah, well, he was. He's I fallen mean, off a cliff. Linked with Real Madrid and PSG and all sorts uh, at one point. Jose Mourinho loved him. Um, well, Sir Alex Ferguson wanted to bring him to, to Manchester United. Yeah, that. That goal at uh, at Selhurst Park will will be replayed, I'm sure, for for years to come. But exactly right to to put it plainly, he has fallen off a cliff. As as the big toffee that you are, Oscar, how do you see uh, Deli Ali coming in? Well, I'm glad we're finally giving the Everton Football Club some recognition for some <laughs> of the great transfer business that happens behind the scenes, some of the the genius that's going on in in the Mashiri staff room. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I think you guys have touched on a lot of the really key points, and that there's a great deal of potential. And Josh summed it up really well. With if he does reach anywhere near that, then he will, in in theory, be worth the amount of money that would be paid. Um, obviously, that being a Frank Lampard signing, I've been thinking. So obviously, that's kind of a we'll see a, a change mm. of formation, new system being employed. I'm wondering whether Deli Ali will be kind of the Mason Mount that that Frank Lampard liked to use in terms of that creative burden and I think that's something that Everton really need because my god have they been lacking something <laughs> creative um so that that makes it a really interesting thing to see how they'll line up I think that'll make the midfield function better um you know if you look at a player like Andre Gomez who was just miserable in the Rafa Benitez system so maybe that would give free him up to to play better of course mm. and you've it just seems like a more coherent, balanced midfield, especially when you throw Van der Beek in there as well. Yeah, I, it, I, it's it, it seems, the, the the midfield was problematic, not necessarily in personnel, but in terms of how that personnel f- 
fit within what Rafa Benitez want and it was completely incompatible. So I think that there's potential now that, that, that there's a much kind of more obvious plan here that could mm. actually work in this instance. Yeah, I, I, I like the Van Der Beek one for for Everton's um, yeah midfield composition. And I think if you look across the board at the midfield options, I think it gives Everton a lot of variety for um, sort of different tactics, different game states. They've got... Um, a couple of those sort of destroyer types in your Decoures and your Allens. Um, I don't really know what you would call Andre Gomez. I guess he does everything okay and nothing really that great. Um, but he's, and I think he's also suffered after his injury. Yeah, you know, massively, true, but, of course. Yeah. But yeah, in, in terms of you know, is he a is he a ball winner? Is he an out and out creator? I think he's sort of just and every man yeah, yeah. has a go at everything. Um, Donny, we know, of course, is technically very gifted and. And capable of, uh, of of doing things further forward, and they've still got Tom Davies and you know, Jean Philippe Gabamin who can <laughs> who can play uh, bit part roles. I, I think a large part of the the benefit or the influence comes in when you look at what happens further up the pitch. So now, what that allows someone like Demari Gray to yeah. do, how Richarlison now adapts. Maybe that means Richarlison goes back out wide, which means you're not relying on you know Anthony Gordon to create things as much as I've kind of liked lots of what mm. he's provided. It's kind of been yeah, pretty. I like Anthony Gordon. It's been pretty one-dimensional, both he and DeMario Grave are going to charge headfirst at the, at the defence <laughs> because that's kind of been yeah. the only thing that they've been able to do. So yeah. maybe that Straight line running. Absolutely. So that should free them up to maybe do something. We'll see how that affects Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who really hasn't been at his best, um, whether that's because of the injury or not, whatever. Yeah. It, it, it just, there's much more promise going forward that there will be a more coherent structure that actually allows the players to function. It's funny that you use the phrase more obvious plan and Frank Lampard in the same sentence. Yeah, there, Oscar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as it job. comes to the players, you know, <laughs> you know, as far as it comes to the tactics rather, yeah. I mean, that, that's one for the players, you know. Mm. He's, 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 a, he's a player's coach, by which I mean he puts all of the emphasis on the players to make their own decisions and be responsible for uh, themselves on the pitch. Uh, well, but but I, I, I think... If you want to talk about the impact of Lampard, I think it's very much similar to what we've been talk- we've talked about before with Villa with, with Villa and Gerrard. Just kind of having that player who who is such a big name who players want to come and play for. That's why you get Deli Ali. That's why you get Donny Van Der Beek in a way that you wouldn't before. And I mean that that's the other fact that we haven't spoke about is if you want to have a goal scoring midfielder to bring yeah. Deli Ali back to his best, then in theory Frank Lampard could be a good fit for that and uh, capable of bringing that back out of him. Mm, yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting if um you know if there is someone that can surely bring out a a, a better work ethic and a better mindset out of Dele Alley, it is surely one of the England idols that he would have grown up watching because he's still I don't know how old he is off the top of my head. I'm sure he's still mid to early 20s uh, and still has a lot of football ahead of him. Uh he, he absolutely would have been watching England play it at World Cups and Euros, or twenty five, apart from the one that they missed. Yeah, um, and, and would have would have been watching and analysing uh, someone like Frank Lampard. So to now be be coached by him, be mentored by him as that attacking midfielder. I mean, if it's if it's going to happen, if this if his career is going to be revived, it's going to be here. And if this goes wrong, I, I think there's. There's no coming back for him, which is very unfortunate because, like we said, he, you know, that 15, 16 season where Tottenham were sort of in that title race all the way until the end uh, or until the last few weeks. And then Leicester sort of ended up actually winning it quite comfortably, as it were. Um, he hasn't really quite been the same ever since. Um, 
But the biggest inclusion for me uh, post-January for Everton is Dominic Carver-Lewin. Uh, back fit. He's started the last three games, all defeats, uh, mind you, but getting him back up to fitness uh, and back scoring goals is, is going to be massive for them, I think. Uh, I think we'll take a break there. Uh, we've done our transfer chat. Uh, plenty of deals that we've left off the list. Yeah, maybe we should talk about Tottenham on the other side of the break. Yeah. A bit of, bit of Spurs chat a before we get into the, the relegation drama. Absolutely. We'll come back uh, and talk uh, Daniel Levy, the what did Pep Guardiola call him in the summer after he wouldn't let him have Kane? The, uh, the master negotiator. <laughs> yeah. The master negotiator didn't want to talk. Uh, so we'll talk some, uh, some master negotiator uh, right after the break on the EPL show. Don't go anywhere. Loving the tunes on the EPL show, getting the energy nice and high, coming back uh, from the break. Uh, before the break, we said we were going to move on from the transfer talk, uh, but during the break, uh, we've just spent the last minute saying, oh, what about this one? What about this one? What about this team? So we're going to keep talking about transfers because <laughs> in the first episode of a Premier League show after January, what on earth else are you going to talk about? Of course, it's going to be transfers. Uh, and like we said before the break, uh, we'll start with Tottenham. We've talked about Dele Alli. Uh, he wasn't the only um, high-profile midfielder to go out on loan. There were three of them. Just before we start, I just want to say great audition for Smooth FM there, the way you just yeah. linked in with the music and just Ooh, yeah. right back into the content. It was magnificent. Just mm. well done, Nick. <laughs> anyway, you. yeah. Love no. song dedications coming <laughs> <Yeah>. up later. <laughs> um. No, uh, not 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 the only departure of Deli Alley. Obviously, Giovanni Lo Celso heading back to Spain uh, with Villarreal. Brian Hill doing the same, uh, and Dombele, of course, maybe the biggest one going back to Leon. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's that's a really interesting collection of transfers. I mean, they've brought in Rodrigo Bentancur and uh, Dan Kulusevski from from Juve as kind of the replacements. Our players, you know, obviously at a former club of of Antonio Conte. Although I'm not sure how often he's worked with either of them. So it's it's didn't overlap with his tenure. Yeah, no, I def- definitely didn't. So. But I'm wondering you if- know why this happens is, be- is because Paratici, Paratici, yeah. however you say his name, mm. um, the sporting director has just come from Juve, so he's got the connection there, yeah. so they're able to negotiate this stuff. Yeah. So Conte is almost irrelevant in this, other than right. he likes players from Serie A, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's and so I, it's... It's really interesting. I mean, obviously, Spurs have kind of picked up a bit over the last couple of months with Conte, and we've seen the front three, I think, well, sorry, well, particularly Kane and Son work together a bit better, a bit more often, so they, they, they look like they're kind of finding some of their, their mojo again, which has, yeah. been, which has been good to see. So, you know, I'm, I've read some things talking about, you know, we know that Antonio Conte is a very demanding coach. Were these players not willing to meet those demands? Is that why he's felt the need to make the change already? Um but, you know, I think it's it's great to see a couple of other players in the Prem. Yeah, it's interesting that it's it's taken the third manager to get rid of Tangi and Dombele because mm. Mourinho very publicly complained about him. Nuno publicly complained about him. Uh, and Antonio Conte, I mean, I didn't ever see him uh, say anything about him in press conferences or anything, but it's it's taken Conte to to let him go. It's such a shame in Dombele because we, we I, saw flashes of how good he could be. Like, and obviously we saw him at Lyon as well. But but how, yeah. there were mo- there were games where he was just breathtaking. You watch when you no like that's what it's all about. So for mm. 
He, if, um, if that is the end for him, that's that's a real shame. Yeah, I remember there was one of the episodes of Tottenham's off uh, off. What are they called? All or nothing. I was going to say all for nothing. <laughs> all or no- all or nothing. <laughs> a bit of an insulting <laughs> Freudian slip there. Um, <laughs> Tottenham all for nothing. <laughs> I think I reckon it's because because this season's one is Arsenal. And there were all these memes uh, about the Arsenal one being called all for nothing. So I reckon that might have been where my mind was leading. But anyway, one of the episodes of the Tottenham one sort of centred around Ndombele coming in. I remember um, uh, because Serge Aurier, of course, was at the club at the time uh, and also a French speaker. I remember they were very close and they were sort of talking about, uh, you know, getting him into the team and not seeing a lot of minutes uh, and all that sort of stuff. And you're exactly right, uh, Oscar. He's a... I, th- I think he's a, a very, very talented player. Um, and I do hope that he can do well at Lyon. Um, and I hope that if he does well at Lyon, he doesn't end up going back to Tottenham because if it's, if he's not going to be used at Tottenham, then uh, perhaps he you know needs to go back home. Interesting to note on that one that uh, Lyon have a 60 million euro uh, buy option or yep. something, which is... Just, I think, more than what Spurs spent to get him. Tell him he's dreaming. Three years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Tell him he's dreaming. There's no way they're paying that. I wouldn't have thought. It's it's not a mandatory future fee. It is an optional one. Well, I imagine they needed him when someone like Bruno Guimaraes goes as well. So that that can be that kind of short-term fix for for Leon Mm. to get through the season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Uh, And obviously the ins, uh, as you mentioned, Benton Core and Kulisevsky. Maybe we should have pulled pulled Lockie Flanagan in, um, who who watches probably more Serie A than... Oh, you watch a bit of Serie A, Josh. here and there. I dabble, I dabble. Certainly more Serie A than the two of us combined. Well, I mean, as far as I'm aware. (laughs) No, speak for me. Do you you watch Serie A? I dabble occasionally. All right, good. Well, more Serie A than me then. I'm the lone (laughs) non-Serie A watcher uh, among... I'm the imposter among us. Um, (laughs) Very sus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kulisevsky, I mean, was a player that I thought was a huge talent. Uh, I had a great season at Parma last year, but... Uh, speaking to a, f- a few Serie A people, and uh, shout out to my my girlfriend's dad if um, my girlfriend or any of her family are listening. Uh, he, he's a big Juventus fan, and he um, he can be very critical of Juventus players if he doesn't like them, uh, like like good old all, uh, all good uh, passionate Italian football fans. Mm. Uh, and he was certainly happy to see him leave. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, but Bentoncourt is a player that, that I quite like as well. And, and I think with all those midfielders mm. leaving, I think him coming in, I still really don't see the whole Oliver Skip thing. Like, yeah, he's, he does a job for them and he's come from the academy. I get that they, you know, he's one of our own type thing. But he screams someone who's going to be playing for Fulham in five years. Yes, absolutely. And if Tottenham are going to get back to a level where they're, uh, routinely chasing top four and trophies, then Oliver Skip isn't really going to be the driving force uh, behind that. So These transfers, and particularly Bentancourt coming in, tells me what kind of midfielder that Antonio Conte likes. And that's someone that does what they're effing told. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Hill? No yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, La Celso? Even less so. And in Dombele, you're lucky if he turns up to training. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, get out of my club, says Conte. Get rid of yeah. these guys. I don't care how. They've loaned them all out. These La Liga softies go back to Spain. Mm. And Dombele, send him back where he came from to Leon, And let's get some guys 
who know how to follow an order. And Bentancourt is certainly that. He's a good soldier. He's a decent player. He keeps, keeps it ticking over at the base of midfield, but he'll put in a tackle if he needs to. He's a good holding holding midfield player. If he's not the deepest midfielder, I don't know, he's, he can he can be a bit of a handbrake. But mm. uh, then you've yeah. got someone like Kulisevsky, who's a really good dribbler mm. uh, and much more of a creative player. And certainly... I guess more deft than he looks. He looks like a Viking, but he's actually yeah. quite quite subtle and, and skillful and in his very approach. Tall and yeah, he, yeah. When I when I first came across him in Football Manager, I thought, "Ooh, young Swedish winger. This is uh, exciting." And then I, I saw him for the first time. And I was like, "It's just not what I pictured." <laughs> but uh, aside from his looks, <laughs> uh, let, let's hope for Tottenham's sake that uh, that he can be a decent. I think he's a great player. I think Juve is so quick to write off their signings. So mm-hmm. then it's not a club where you can get second chances and develop. Yeah. It's a club that makes a judgment on you very, very, very quickly. And it's funny, some of the guys that are still in the team uh, are still living off their past reputations, like Alexandro, but mm-hmm. a player like Kulisevsky, who I think has a lot of potential, I think they've made a mistake in letting him go so soon. Yeah, it's... I mean... Time will time will tell uh, on that one. If he if he does kick on it at Tottenham, uh, I th- I think they have a, a permanent option on that one. Spurs. Uh, not sure what the fee would be uh, if there is one in there, but uh, we'll have. Maybe to wait it's conditional see. upon Leon paying sixty million <laughs> for Ndombele. Yeah, nice big uh, loan clause merry-go-round uh, going on at Tottenham. And just to say, just, just, just to finish with what Josh was saying yeah. about having opportunity, well, well, seeing the kinds of midfield that Antonio Conte wants to build. So I think that this will now be a much better chance to kind of assess Conte's spurs, see what that looks like, kind of get a better grasp of what he's after because, because now that he's had the opportunity to kind of bring in some of his players because obviously up until this point he's been using ones who he's not... Too keen on. Yeah, for sure. And and he's routinely said that um, there, there's a lot of work to be done at Tottenham and they're a long, a long way off the level of uh, some of the top teams. They finally lost their first game under the Italian uh, before the break with a 2-0 loss to Chelsea. Uh, and that was another one of those such moments where he, he said, uh, yeah, we're, we're a long way behind Chelsea and it'll take time. So... I guess time uh, Daniel Levy will will have to give him. He hasn't uh, been known, certainly in in the last few years, to to give uh, managers a great deal of time. Uh, I guess Pochi he, he gave a, a handful of years, but uh, didn't quite take it to the next level. Uh, looking at Tottenham and their neighbours Arsenal, uh, not a great deal of movement, but uh, the one that did move was uh, was an almighty. Uh, Trimmer, if you like. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, it was a a, a crazy uh, deal as it was sort of coming through the reports on Twitter and in articles and things. It was, you know, is he going? Is he staying? It's going to be a loan at Barcelona. And then apparently he flew to Barcelona by himself without Arsenal's knowledge um, that took the Gunners by surprise. Then it became a free transfer. Then Aubameyang was pictured in training before the medical was even done and before the signing was announced. Um, the signing still isn't announced uh, as it is, but uh, obviously, even though it's after the deadline, now apparently Arsenal ended up releasing him, so he's a free agent, so he doesn't have to be signed in this transfer window. It's a bizarre one, but mm. long story short, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is going to Barcelona. He's been pitching in training already, yeah, so it's, exactly. it's happened. Uh, joining Adama Traore as uh, Premier League players that are making the move to Barcelona. Um for me, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's career finished 18 months ago. 
And this just screams another awful Barcelona signing. Yeah, I think the last couple, like the last couple of weeks of Aubameyang from an Arsenal perspective, has kind of summed up his time mm. largely at the club. Kind of so much off-field nonsense and drama going on, which really has detracted from where, where where he does his best work. And obviously, he had some wonderful moments. If you think back to like that FA Cup final and those kinds of situations, yeah. um, you and know, he... that was at the start of Arteta when when it looked like it was all starting to come together and that was yeah. all going to work. And I, I saw, sorry, just to cut in, yeah. I saw something uh, as well that he reached 50 Premier League goals faster than Thierry Henry. Right, yeah. And then it went uh, yeah. very much downhill after that. And of course, Arsenal can put this under the, the guise of building a healthier culture at the club and you don't want someone like that who's dragging people down with his off-field antics or whatever mm. and... and at which point you say, well, why, why, why'd you make him captain in the first place? It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a series of odd choices. And, yep. you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, that, that, that's the narrative that comes out of the club. I'm not really sure that that proves that. I think that's just kind of an incident of a breakdown of a relationship. Um, but, yeah, really interesting how Arsenal, seeing how late and dramatically this all happened, haven't mm. really signed a replacement, relying on Alex Lacazette, maybe Eddie Nketiah to kind of step up and fill that goal void. So that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, well, that... That striker position for Arsenal come the summer is going to be hugely intriguing because Lacazette's contract is running out and it's widely known. I'm pretty sure actually even Arteta has confirmed that there won't be any contract talks. Uh, Eddie Nketiah certainly seems like he wants out and won't be accepting any contract offers. I don't even think any contract offers are coming his way for that matter either. So that's all of their... I mean. I guess you can call Eddie Nketiah a senior striker now. That leaves, uh, what's his name, Balagoon as the only uh, striker that's played first team minutes. I guess they've used Martinelli in, in a centre forward position, but they thought for quite a while they were getting Dusan Vlahovic, but he uh, went to Juventus for very big money. Uh, Josh called, by the way, just pointed out. Monday Good last call. week, mate. Good call. That was, uh, I said, there's no way he's going to Arsenal. Juve always get the Serie A players. Well done. Right offs. That's off. Yeah, Nick Nick Dubano wasn't quite so sure. But, uh, <laughs> oh well, there you go. Perhaps the uh, the, the dabbling Serie A folk. I just see can, trends. Can I just see trends. <laughs> and if if there's a, ta- a talented player in Serie A yeah. and Juve are in for them, they genuinely do like Hoover that. them up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, a bit like Bayern in, in Germany. Yeah. It's just a default destination. Sure. Um, but yeah, Arsenal thought they were getting him. Obviously, hasn't happened. Uh, still rumored uh, to be looking at Alexander Isak from. Uh, Sosie Dad, who of course went to um, went to Dortmund, was touted as the next Ibrahimovic, Swedish striker. Um, didn't really kick on at Dortmund, but has done very well at Real Sociedad now. He's kind of inconsistent. I don't know. I really like him. I like when he, when he's on song. He's a marvelous player to watch. He's so skillful, but I don't, I don't know. He just doesn't he doesn't perform consistently for La Real in, in Spain. For my mm. money, I, I think he's still got some way to go before he gets that big Premier League move. Yeah, and I mean, in in the context of Arsenal, it's you know they're obviously not a team that's the most reliant on a kind of recognised striker. They've mm. kind of managed to get through mm. most of the season without that kind of key figure leading the line, or or if they have, it's not someone kind of playing it in a traditional role. So you, you know that, that they can probably cope better than most teams with the fact that they maybe don't have a replacement for losing their star striker and captain kind of thing. So you know, and whether someone like Alexander Isak comes in and in, in next season. I think that would be really interesting to see. I mean, Josh mentioned how skillful he is as a player and, you know, being inconsistent, that hasn't been a barrier for Arsenal before, so why not bring him in? Um, 
yeah, and, and to see if Arteta can build something around that. But um, but 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 yeah, I, I think I, I I think that it's you know no no one's really I don't think feeling like it's a season-ending loss or anything like that. No, no, like they're still more not. than capable of managing without having Adam. Yeah, the, the only issue for them is they um have they elected a new captain yet? Because obviously he was stripped of the captaincy well before he actually left. Mm. To my knowledge, they haven't um, given the armband to someone uh, permanently, like as that has been mm. uh, wearing it um, in the the last few matches. Obviously, uh, with the Bamyang not in the side, but interesting point you mentioned about um, Arsenal not really relying on or, or using uh, an out and out centre forward. You look at their top goal scorers: Emil Smith Rowe eight, Bukayo Saka six, Odegaard and Martinelli on four. And then Abamyang also on four, Lacazette three. They've only had nine goal scorers all season. That seems like a low number yeah, to me. Yeah, uh, Arsenal struggle for goals. I th- yeah. Yeah, I, I think yeah, nine separate goal scorers is probably about right. Um, more than nine goals. But, um, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I, I I do think they need, they need a striker, but whether uh, the right player was available in January... Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was clear that after the differences between Aubameyang and, and Arteta, one of them was never going to be involved with Arsenal again. You mm. kind of had to choose, and it made more sense to go with Arteta. After the disciplinary thing and him being stripped from the with, from the captaincy when he was visiting his mother who had you know who was sick, mm. like I, I thought Arsenal behaved abhorrently in that situation. We had a debate about it. I was arguing with Bakur about it on air not too long ago. <laughs> Um, you know, she, I'm sure she, she, stood, she stood by the club. Very anti. Oh, she stood by the club yeah, and, their, yeah. and their, their policy. Um, look, I, I, I thought they treated him quite poorly. Yes, he hasn't played well, but if he had been performing for the club, they wouldn't have treated him like that yeah, in that situation. Course. So it was just an excuse uh, to discipline him, to sideline him further, to get him out, to stop him from seeing out his contract. And this is what they tried with Ozil as well. Uh, and yeah. I don't think it speaks very no. highly of Arsenal as an employer mm. Uh the way that they've treated their contracted employees and to try and bully them out of the money that they're owed when they made, they were the ones who made the bad decision in signing to the, them to that enormous contract in the first place. Yep. So mm. I don't know. I, I Arsenal leaves me a bit, a bit cold, to be honest. Like there's a lot of bad owners in the premier league and maybe they're not highest on the list. There's other more pressing sort of human rights violations <laughs> and things going on, but like they're, they're like Amazon or something. They're kind of a soulless corporation. Well, Stan uh, Stan Kroenke is um, sitting happy with a Super Bowl appearance in a couple of weeks for the LA Rams, uh, and uh, clearly isn't uh, isn't too bothered. He's by like the Monopoly man. I just London. I just can't stand him to be honest, and I can't <laughs> yeah, stand the way Arsenal approach poor. these things. And the sorry the yeah, um sorry. the it, it's sort of been an issue with Arteta. I think ever since he came in, obviously the Ozil one. Uh, happened quite quickly, but um, Guendouzi, he outed uh, quite quickly. Uh, again, you know, we'll, whether or not the, the attitude issues were really there or, or it was sort of being played on, you know, only people in the inner sanctum will ever know. Uh, Lucas Torreira just sort of disappeared uh, off the face of the earth as well. So it's not the first time it's happened. And, and in Ketia, like I said, there just seems to be a really odd relationship. And whilst all those things are true and do make Arsenal look like perhaps the, not the most attractive prospect, I think the, the thing that counters that is when you read out the list of their scorers, I mean, I always get really excited when I look at Arsenal's attack because they've no, just so got so many, 
super young, super talented players. I mean, if you've got Smith Rowe, Odegaard, uh, Bukayo Saka, all of those players in your team, then I think that, you know, if you're an Alexander Isak, for example, I think that could be a really exciting opportunity to kind of join this young crop of players and kind of grow together as a squad with a young manager. That's maybe a bit idealistic of me, I accept. But but th- there is an appeal to Arsenal with what they've got left over, I think, which which going forward, I think, makes them exciting, even if they're lacking that key central figure kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I've, um, again, with Bakur, I've, uh, I've had many uh, debates trying to uh, instill in her a bit of faith in her own <laughs> team, uh, and, and I insist that Arsenal are on the right path. Look, I, I, I do... I guess there's a point where it goes too far uh, with, uh, you know, dis- disciplining players and whether or not there's uh, real reason to do so, but I, I like that Arteta has come in and sort of, you know, stuck the the pole in the ground or whatever that saying is and said, you know, th- this is this is going to be my way and, and he's going to... S- he's planted his flag. He's, he's drawn create. a line in the sand. Yeah. I prefer he's stuck gonna... the pole of the ground. That's yeah. really <laughs> romantic. <laughs> <laughs> I give up. Um, stay, staying in London for the last one, uh, just real quickly, how good is it to see uh, Christian Eriksen signing uh, oh, yeah. uh, another yeah. professional contract? And uh, a really exciting one because Brentford, we know, have that Danish connection, the... Uh, they share the ownership with Mitchell and they have, uh, you know, share resources and uh, data analysis and recruitment analysis and all that sort of stuff. They have a, a, a Danish contingent with um, Norgard and, and, and all those those guys as well. Uh, Matisse Jorgensen, who uh, I think was signed in the summer. Uh, Jonas Losel is the backup keeper who's been playing recently. Um, Goodness knows how. Thomas Frank I, I in the dugout think as he's well. The worst goalkeeper ever in Premier League history. Yeah, he's pretty poor. But... T- Thomas Frank, of course, the the manager. So, um, yeah, just fantastic to see uh, Ericsson back uh, back on a on a, a football of... team for starters and back in the Premier League as well. It's kind of weird to me that the different leagues have different rules on yeah. on uh, internal defibrillators, but. Yeah. At least there's somewhere he can play. I just, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I, yeah. I, I'm sure it's safe. Yeah. But yeah. I just, you know, I just get a bit nervous. Obviously, with for what, sure. you know, we saw in the Euros and everything, and you just hope it goes well for him and yeah. he doesn't suffer yeah. any crushed. adverse health effects as a result. But I'm glad that he wants to come back and play, and it will be heartwarming to see him out in the pitch again. And you don't want the game to be taken away from anyone, especially not a magician like Ericsson. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I think that's. That's absolutely right. I think it's really feel-good signing. And, you know, if you want to talk about Veghorst being kind of epitomising the Burnley way, I think signing Christian Eriksen very much sums up what Brentford do and how they do things. They kind of they have this very aesthetically appealing thing that makes you feel good inside. There are risks that might not always be the most effective. Mm. But, you know, to bring that in, I think that, if, that, you know, that contributes further to the fact that people like Brentford. They like watching Brentford. Brentford do lots of good things. And, and so I think that that kind of suits the mm. Brentford mould. And, you know, in the same way that we talked about with other players uh, in, in the show, if it works, that'll be a brilliant signing and he can really change the season for them. It, not that they need much help because they're doing really well as they are. Yeah, well, we know that Brentford love their set pieces. Christian Eriksen is, is a guy that will come in and, and we know his quality from from set piece delivery. Obviously, we know his quality from a live ball uh, as well. Um, just in general, a, a magnificent uh, footballer, a, a fantastic technician on the ball. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. If it goes well, it can only be a, a great signing for Brentford, who in recent weeks certainly have uh, slipped off a bit, where in the first sort of half of the season it looked like they were punching above their weight and were looking 
sort of that Sheffield United promotion season where they were edging mm. into the top half, even perhaps even looking into Europe. Um, but it's gone a little bit south now. Uh, again, with some quick maths, uh, looks like one win, six losses in their last seven games. Well, this is the kind of regression to the mean that you yeah. see from newly promoted sides who start with a bang. I think we saw it with Leeds United when they came up. Yeah. Uh, but Brentford, for me, are more than good enough to stay up and finish for comfortably sure. in yeah. mid-table. Uh, and you think about what Ericsson can do from open play, and I think his signature move, I suppose, is... The little ball, he's just sort of standing outside the corner of the box and he plays that little early dink yeah. across to the back post yeah. and it's always on the money. And you've got Mbwemo or Ivan Tony trying to get on the end of that, whether it's a volley or a header. You know, how many goals did he set up for Deli Alley at, at Tottenham doing yeah. that? Yeah. And they play that midfield three. He'll probably come in on the right of the midfield three for, what, 20 minutes, 15 minutes at the end of a game, try and put in one quality ball and that might be enough for... for Brentford to pick up three, four, five points, which could prove crucial at the end of the season, considering how tightly packed that part of the table is. And I think the other comment on on Brentford's form in recent weeks is I think we've seen lots of those teams with thinner squads really struggle over the past couple of months, as we tend to do, just because of the lack of squad rotation and stuff. That's kind of felt a bit inevitable, Mm. although Leeds are maybe a bit of an exception to that. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, (laughs) Yes, I'm not reading too far into the fact that Brentford haven't quite maintained They've had some tough games against yeah, the likes yeah. of Liverpool as well. So I, I think, you know, Ericsson plays into the underdog appeal that is Brentford and he, and he, he suits what the club is and what they're becoming. And yeah, as, as Josh rightly points out, he, he can make the difference in a couple of games and those kinds of results are what are the difference between survival and relegation in the Premier League. Yeah, for sure. One to keep an eye on, uh, absolutely. And as we're talking about relegation, we'll... Uh, knock off a quick discussion uh, just before we finish about that bottom section of the table because all of a sudden it's looking very interesting where Norwich were the certainty to not only get relegated but finish bottom of the league. All of a sudden they've won four games compared to Newcastle's two, Burnley's one uh, and Watford's four wins as well. Uh, A 3-0 smashing of Watford in their last match uh, took them out of the relegation zone for the first time all season. It's two wins in a row uh, after they beat Everton the week before that as well. Uh, so in 17th, uh, granted all of the teams below them have games in hand. Uh, Burnley have four games in hand on them. Watford have two. It's uh, it's going to be really interesting because, I mean, you talk about Brentford, you talk about even mm. a couple of the teams above them, all the way up really to... Dare I say it, Leicester in 10th. It's quite a tight bunch. Leicester in 10th on 26, Newcastle in 18th on 15. I mean, Leicester, of course, you would expect to be safe, as you would uh, Aston Villa in 11th, Southampton in 12th, and probably Crystal Palace in 13th as well. Mm. But Brentford down, going a little bit of a, a, a bad run of form, particularly with Everton strengthening. You expect them to have a few better... Uh, performances with Leeds maybe looking like they were turning it around as well, although they had that last loss against Newcastle. It's um, it's going to be super, super interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's a good point. Um, they're, they're all good points, as you say, up to Leicester or theoretically still within reach. I, I suppose just judging on performances and what, in my mind, I've made it the quality, it feels like kind of Leeds upwards are too good of a team to yeah, go down yeah. based on what, what we've seen from the teams below them. Um. You know, I don't too good to go down is always a dangerous phrase. <laughs> it's true, and I'm not, it, and I'm not going to apply it to Everton, so we'll, we'll, we'll just leave that <laughs> floating. Um, 
because because I've no idea what to expect with Everton. You know, I don't I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, Watford are always weird, aren't they? And you can never yeah. judge Watford. Well, they're the intriguing one. I mean, yeah. Roy Hodgson. Roy Hodgson. I was not. I did not see that oh, managerial appointment coming. Not. I don't know why he felt the need to do it. To be completely honest, I, I, I thought he was. I thought he was done. Why it's would been, you add that stress to your life? I don't understand. Seventy-four years of age. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Like all all jokes and memes aside, to be managing in the Premier League at seventy-four years of age is quite extraordinary. And it's always an incredible storyline when you come face to face with your arch enemy, and when Roy Hodgson looks Harry the Hornet in the eyes. Oh uh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I mean. That's that's a showdown for the ages. They're going to have to put aside their differences and work together. I hope Watford bring out some uh, some good social media content from that because uh, I saw that interview. That was um, that was very funny. Do you, reckon, do you reckon when Harry the Hornet does his his celebrations, uh, Roy's <laughs> going to bring out his famous line? Let's not take the piss here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Maybe he'll do a Mourinho-esque run down the touchline. <laughs> and and slide with slide Harry the Hornet to the corner flag. With, with Harry the Hornet. I love it. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you, um, Oscar. I think Leeds and I think Everton too will be too good to to go down. And uh, like I said, you know, up until Leicester, uh, on paper, the math sort of looks close enough. But uh, I can't really see any of those teams uh, going down necessarily. I do think it is that bottom four. Mm. But which of those bottom four stays up, I think it really could be any one of them at the moment. Um, like we said uh, before the break, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Vekos fits in at Burnley. I think he was the only one they signed. They, of course, wanted to grab uh, Orsic, Mislav Orsic from Mislav. Zagreb. Yeah, a guy who yeah. scored against Melbourne Victory at yeah. uh, Marvel Stadium not too long ago. Yeah. So he's, his career has exploded <laughs> and since then, it's safe to say. Love it. Um, yeah, they wanted to sign him but didn't get him. So it'll be interesting to see how Veghorst improves him. Of course, Newcastle's signings, Hodgson coming in at Watford. Uh, and and then Norwich, I mean, haven't really changed much. They lost Todd Cantwell uh, on loan to Bournemouth, but he wasn't having a very good season anyway. So... Yeah, that bottom four is is going to be uh, going to be massive in my eyes, and it starts with the first game back after the break, Sunday five a.m. Burnley at home to Watford will be uh, a very very intriguing match. Sure, it'll be an open end to end contest. Do we that's, call that's... it? Do we call it Route One anymore, or <laughs> do we call it Voot One? <laughs> yes, yes, Voot One. Yes, absolutely. That's what we're calling it. <laughs> I, I'm just, just, just offended. The amount of content that we've managed to pull out of Vutvekhorst is simply exceptional. I'm and amazed. It, and it will not stop. No. I, I'm telling you right now, it will not stop uh, until the end of the season. Um, nice segue into... Oh, we don't have any games this weekend, to be honest. Uh, it's FA Cup this weekend, and I don't have the FA Cup fixtures in front of me. Ah, wrap know, it up, I know easy. Liverpool are playing Cardiff, and Harvey Elliott is going to be back on the pitch. Oh, so that's good. That's uh that's all that matters for me this weekend. Um, thanks for uh for joining uh the EPL show today. First one back uh, after oh we only had one week off. I guess it wasn't a, an extended break. It was a public holiday last week after all. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll catch you again next week uh, with FA Cup to chat, uh, some Premier League fixtures to talk about as well. Take care. Enjoy your weekend in football, and we'll catch you next week.